0: The following audio is from LaGrange Church of Christ, located in Texas. For more information about LaGrange Church of Christ, please visit our website at www.lagrangecoc.com. Good morning. Grace and peace to you. Uh, We're so glad that you're here with us today. Um, uh, One thing that didn't get announced this morning, we need to remember our sister, uh, Bobby Klingshorn. She uh, went to the hospital Yesterday evening, um, she is home now and doing better, but need to keep her in our prayers and keep uh, Judy in your prayers as well. Uh, we are in a series on uh, Romans, and so uh, we began that last week, and hopefully uh, you read some of that at home. If not, uh, I, I hope you'll do that um, as we continue this series, that you'll um, look at Romans uh, in your personal Uh, Bible study time and and sort of meditate on these words uh, that God has given us through his servant Paul and so this morning we want to begin by reading Romans chapter 1 verses 8 through 17 Romans 1 verses 8 through 17 Paul writes first I thank my God through Jesus Christ for all of you because your faith is proclaimed in all the world I do not want you to be unaware, brothers, that I have often intended to come to you, but thus far have been prevented, in order that I may reap some harvest among you as well as among the rest of the Gentiles. I am under obligation both to Greeks and to barbarians, both to the wise and to the foolish. So I am eager to preach the gospel to you also who are in Rome, for I am not ashamed of the gospel. For it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For in it, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith, as it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. This morning, we're going to really hone in and just explore uh, Romans chapter 1, verses 16 through 17. Uh, this is the first great passage that we encounter in Romans. And there are many great passages throughout the book. Uh, these are those little pieces of Scripture that get quoted. They are the ones that, that we memorize, we internalize, and we go to for comfort or encouragement. When we think of Romans, these are the passages and the verses that, that come to mind, Um And Romans 1, 16 through 17 is the first. These two verses here have been called the thesis of Romans. And so Paul is presenting what he is going to be discussing in this entire letter. This is what Romans is all about. It is about the gospel. It is about salvation. It is about righteousness. And it is about faith. These are four big concepts that will be further explored as we continue to study the letter. Now, we must be careful not to say too much about these verses this morning. Why? Well, because we want Paul to explain them for us. Rather than rely on our fallible understanding of this passage, we want to put our trust in the infallible words of Scripture. So, what we're going to do today is introduce these topics, knowing that they will be further explained later. When Christians in the first century received this letter, when they, you know, got their first copy of Romans, they read it in one setting. Now, we have decided to go through it slowly so we can sort of mind the treasures of Romans and meditate. On certain passages, but we must always keep in mind that this is one letter. And every verse, every passage that we look at has a much bigger context. And we learn what words and verses mean by understanding them in their context. Last week, we saw that the first thing that Paul does in Romans is that he gives us a definition of the gospel. Um, the good news is that God, in Jesus Christ, took on flesh and came to earth. He was crucified on the cross and was raised three days later by the power of the Holy Spirit. He is the one and only Lord who rules heaven and earth. That's the gospel. That's how Paul defines it in Romans, that's how he defines it in 1 Corinthians. Paul now explains that this gospel is the power of God for salvation. And so the gospel is not just one single event, it is a set of events, and each of them contains power to save our life in some way. And so the incarnation has the power to transform our life by showing us how to live, it reveals God in the flesh. So that we can know what God's plan for human beings really is. Uh, We have been created in God's image. We learn that from the first chapter of the Bible, Genesis chapter 1. But the image each of us has in us contains cracks. Why? Because sin distorts the image. It is because we do not live as we ought to live. Jesus is the image of God without cracks. He reveals to us true humanity. And this is what God wants from us. And now we can be saved from a life contrary to that image. Uh, We can begin the process of transformation, sometimes called sanctification, with the help of the Holy Spirit, by modeling our lives after the life of Jesus. The sacrifice of Jesus on the cross has the power to forgive us of our sins. And so we learn that Jesus overcame evil and sin on the cross. He shed his blood for you and me. Animal sacrifices never contained that type of power. Paul says in 2 Corinthians 5.19 that in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself. Sin enslaves, sin corrupts, sin destroys. Thankfully, the cross gives us the power to overcome sin and to be forgiven of the trespasses that we have committed. The third event that Paul points to is the resurrection. And the power here is a power over death. And so the gospel saves us from the grave. Jesus overcame death, and he gives us that same hope. The good news is actual events that took place, that that happened in history. And and these events forever altered our world. They they were powerful events, and they continue to be powerful today because they still contain the power to transform, the power to rescue, the power to to save. And so the salvation that comes from the gospel is available to anyone who is willing to put their trust in God. Now it was first proclaimed to the Jews, as Paul says here, but it has now been proclaimed to nations all around the world. And Jesus is at the center of the gospel. Uh, the, the good news is about his birth, his life, and his death, and his resurrection. And then in verse 17, Paul says that the gospel is the revelation of the righteousness of God. In other words, the gospel reveals the character of, of God. It reveals who God is. John 1.18 states, no one has ever seen God, the only God who is at the Father's side. He, that is Jesus, has made him known. So the word righteousness here simply means to put things right. And this is what Jesus came to earth to do. He came to make things right. And the gospel is the revelation of what God is doing. And so Jesus came to heal what is broken. He came to offer justice to those who have been wronged. He came to redeem the lost. He came to overcome sin and death. And this is the righteousness of God revealed in Jesus. And all of this is founded on faith. And this is one of those uh, terms that, that can mean several different things in Scripture. And Paul, in verse 17, seems to be using more than one of them here. And so it, it can maybe be a little confusing, but, but let me try to clear it up for you. First, Paul points to the faithfulness Of God. It is because of God's commitment to humanity that his righteousness is revealed. You see, God could have given up. He could have turned his back on us. He certainly had every right to do this because over and over again, humanity rejected God, humanity disobeyed his commands, humanity turned to idols. And it was only because of God's faithfulness that we now have the gospel. But second, the gospel demands that we put our faith or our trust in God. And so the coming of Jesus was the beginning of God's new creation. Now things are not yet complete. All the wrongs have not been righted. Uh, We are living in the in-between time. There is still evil and darkness in our world. We still experience pain and suffering. But eventually, uh, these things will be no more. But what do we do until then? How should we live? Well, Paul answers this question by quoting an Old Testament prophet, the prophet Habakkuk. And he writes this, the righteous shall live by faith. And so the righteous are those who follow God. And he says they are going to get through this life, that's you and me, because of our trust in God. This is what sustains us. This is what gets us by. And so what Paul is saying here is that God's faithfulness which that's what we see first, it produces a faithfulness in us. Because God was faithful, we can be faithful as well. And, and that's Romans 1, 16 and 17 in a nutshell. Now, if you still have questions or if, you, if you're wanting more, th- then don't worry because there are 16 more chapters where Paul is going to unpack all of those themes. And, you know, he's going to explore that in, in, in great detail. Uh, these two verses are simply a a taste of what is ahead. They give us a glimpse of what we can expect. There is one word that's found in verse 16 that I did not touch on, and I saved it for the last because uh, Paul's not going to return to it later on. And so, before telling us what he's about to discuss in this entire letter... He makes this statement, for I am not ashamed. And that may seem a little surprising to us. After all, how could someone be ashamed of the gospel? In order to understand this, I think that we need to step back into the first century. And there is actually more than one reason why someone may have been ashamed. Of this message. One possibility is that this movement was mainly comprised of a group of poor, uneducated Galileans. Uh, Paul was the opposite of that. Paul was somebody. In fact, he lists all of his credentials in Philippians 3 verses 4 through 6, and you can go and read them. He was educated, he was part of the tribe of Benjamin. He was a Pharisee, he was a Roman citizen, and on and on and on. Paul had a pedigree that that many people would have been proud of in his day. And some may have looked at Paul and thought that he might be a little embarrassed to be associated with these kinds of people. But Paul clears it all up and he says that he has absolutely nothing to be ashamed of he is proud to be a follower of Jesus others may have felt shame because being a Christian was dangerous the profession of faith that all Christians were required to make was Jesus is Lord Th- those three words and it seems simple to us, but it was a, a big deal in those days. Because this was a direct assault on Rome and its leader. Uh, saying Jesus is Lord could get you in a lot of trouble. And it may be hard for us to sort of fathom this because we live in a country that prizes freedom of religion, and thankfully so. Uh, There are more people who identify as Christian in this country than than any other religion. And so we are in the majority. We get tax breaks and other incentives. We don't face persecution. In the first century, you were expected to profess Caesar is Lord. And if you refuse to do that, then you could be punished and you could even be put to death. Uh, Letting everyone know that you were a Christian would have cost you something. It may cost you a job. It may cause you and your family to, to suffer. It is easy to understand how someone might be a little embarrassed to make a public proclamation like that. But Paul says here that he has no shame. That he is willing to suffer if it means more people will hear the gospel of Christ. Paul could have also been zeroing in on the crucifixion, which was considered shameful in the ancient world. And and so, the, the person being crucified was humiliated in every way possible. They were stripped of their clothes. They were naked on the cross. They were beaten. They were spit upon. And so, to be crucified was not just torture. It was that, but it was also degrading. They were trying to kill your spirit. It would have been shameful to worship anyone who had endured that punishment. And Paul understood this. In 1 Corinthians 1, verses 23 and 24, he wrote... We preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews and folly to Gentiles. But to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. And so certainly Paul is saying that he is in no way ashamed of following a crucified Savior. In fact, he says that if you feel shamed, then you don't really get it, because it's not shameful. The cross is power. The cross is wisdom. And it may not look that way to the outside world, but for those who put their trust in Jesus, it is at the center of their faith. Now, we may not be ashamed of any of these things. There's not a stigma surrounding crucifixion in our culture. We do not face the threat of persecution like the Christians did in the first century. There are not many today who even look down upon Jesus. Uh, Even people who are not Christians tend to think favorably of him. They think he was a nice man. However, in our culture, we face other challenges. We may not have to worry about what others think of crucifixion. But we may not like the idea of admitting or confessing that we are imperfect, that we are sinful. There are many people who are ashamed to ask for help. There are others who are ashamed to admit that they are wrong. C.S. Lewis once wrote, Christianity tells people to to repent and promises forgiveness. It therefore has nothing to say to people who do not know they have done anything to repent of and who do not feel that they need forgiveness. We are ashamed of the gospel when we cannot fall to our knees and confess our sins. We are ashamed of the gospel when we refuse to ask God for help. Paul could boldly state at the beginning of Romans, I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God to everyone who has faith. Can you say the same thing this morning? Let's pray. Father, we come before you and we thank you for the gospel We thank you for the things that Jesus has done for us. We thank you for this message that we read in Romans. And we are challenged today to not be ashamed of it in any way. You have promised us great blessings. If only we can admit our brokenness And put our trust in you. Be with us father. As we humble ourselves before you. And as we strive. To go out into this community. And to share. This powerful message. With as many people as we can. We're mindful. Of Jesus's birth. We're mindful of the life he lived. We're mindful of the suffering he endured on the cross. We're mindful of the power of the resurrection. We pray this in his name. Amen.